Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Mike brings us a continuation of his study with a message titled Jesus and Forgiveness. Pastor Mike, and we're continuing our series today in the message and the movement. It's a study of the, the most famous sermon ever given in the history of the world, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus lays out the message of his movement. And if you're new here to Rocky Peak, we want to welcome you today. And every week inside of our weekend program, there's a white uh, message note sheet. And if you take that out, that'll help you follow along, encourage you to do that. And then uh, we're going to pray and get started uh, this teaching today about forgiveness. So uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church, and what you want to do in our lives today and right here and right now. God, I'm sure that many of us have people that if I were to ask right now, is there anyone in your life you're having a hard time forgiving? I'm sure that many of us, there would be a name, a person, a situation that just pops to mind right away. And so, God, we pray today that you would teach us how to move into the freedom that is forgiveness, how to leave the past behind so we can fly into the future that you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the year was 1987, and the place was... uh, uh, just a little town west of Belfast in Northern Ireland. Of course, uh, of course, it's a country that's torn by war between the Catholics and the Protestants. The day was Veterans Day, and in this little town in a large auditorium, there was, it was full of, of people, full of Protestants who were there to, to honor the dead. What they didn't know that day was that the IRA, the uh, the, the Catholic-backed uh, uh, army, kind of terrorist army, had uh, planted a bomb beneath that auditorium. And once the ceremonies began, the bomb was detonated. This huge building comes tumbling down. Eleven people were killed. Sixty-three people were injured. Two of those people that were caught in the rubble were a father and a daughter. His name was Gordon Wilson. His, his daughter was Marie. She was 20 years old. They were buried under five feet of brick and concrete that day. Gordon Wilson was a a true believer. He was a Christian. He was a Christ follower in the deepest sense of the word, a simple man. That day as they laid there under five feet of concrete, five feet of, of brick, just praying that someone would come to find them, they couldn't see each other. It was pitch black. They knew that they were near. In fact, the father and daughter could actually reach out and hold each other's hand in the dark. When the rescuers finally arrived, it took them five hours. But when they finally arrived, they took the father and daughter out along with the other victims and rushed them to a nearby hospital. Gordon Wilson would end up surviving, but his daughter Marie was not so fortunate. In fact, within a few hours, she would die, the result of massive spinal injuries and brain trauma. Within a few hours, the reporters were buzzing all over the place, interviewing victims, interviewing survivors. When they got to Gordon, they said, is it true that your daughter was with you? Yes, it was. Is it true that the last words she said to you were, Daddy, I love you very much? He said, that's true. He said, but you need to understand this, that today I don't hold any bitterness towards those who bombed this building. Bitter words will not bring my daughter back to life. Tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to pray for the men who set that bomb, and I'm going to continue praying that God would forgive them every day of my life. Well, the reporter was stunned. 
in all of his days working the beat in Ireland and the, you know, war going on throughout their country, he had never heard words like this. And within a week, the BBC had sent a, a team up to interview Gordon Wilson. And once again, he shared his message of love and reconciliation, forgiveness, pleading to the nation that they would put this violence behind them and let it go. It had such an effect that it began to, like this peace movement began to develop in, in, in Ireland. And, and actually, some of the more radical Protestants who were going to retaliate with a bomb against the IRA, they felt like the timing just wasn't right, the, the climate wasn't right, and so they held off on that. And, and then Gordon started this nationwide crusade to bring together Protestants and, and Catholics. And he even wrote a book about his experiences with his daughter. At one point, he even went to the leaders of the IRA, this group that had planned the bombing of his daughter, and he begged them. He said, I know that you've lost loved ones. I've lost loved ones, but isn't enough enough? The when is it going to be enough? We've all shed blood, but it's time to lay down our arms. He became so well-known in the nation that in, soon he was elected by the, by the Irish Republic to be one of their senators. And in 1995, when Gordon Wilson died, just eight years after this tragic bombing, the whole nation, Great Britain and Ireland, mourned the passing of this ordinary man who had been an extraordinary follower of Jesus and in practice what Jesus said in his teachings about forgiveness. Today we, uh, we're continuing the series in the message and the movement, and we're actually backtracking a bit today. If you were here last week, we were in chapter 7. Jesus talked to us about prayer. It was the second installment on prayer. He talked to us about prayer the first time, and back in chapter 6, taught us some great lessons. He gave us a model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And in there, he makes a radical statement about forgiveness. And if you remember, we were there about two months ago in chapter 6, and and I promise you at some point we would circle back and talk about this radical statement about forgiveness. And now that we've finished with what he's teaching on prayer part one and prayer part two, today I want to circle back and I want to look at this radical statement and use it as a launching pad, uh, a jumping off point, uh, a gateway into the life and teaching of Jesus and one of the most important lessons of what it means for us as a church if we're serious about following Jesus in our life one of the most important lessons that he taught was in this realm of forgiveness. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 12. And we're right in the midst of what we, is known as the Lord's Prayer, <laughs> so some of this will be familiar ground. And so he says in chapter 6, in verse 12, he says, uh, Father, in fact, let's just kind of read this together. Okay, ready? Here we go, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's read it again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, so Jesus says when you're praying and you, you go to pray, he says you should pray like this. God, would you please forgive me for all the things I've done? In fact, would you forgive me in the same way that I've forgiven everyone who's ever done anything wrong against me? How many of you are pretty excited about that prayer? <laughs> right, let's, let's try it again. God, would you forgive me? And if you need a model for how to do this, if you just kind of look at my own life, the way that I've forgiven those who have sinned against me, and just if you would forgive me the exact same way 
Uh, that would be awesome. I mean, pretty excited about that. <laughs> no, no, see, I would do the Lord's Prayer differently. I would like a revision. God, would you please forgive me, and would you take no regard for the way I've forgiven everyone else? Because you're God, and I'm not, and I've obviously messed up, and we both know that, and that's why I'm confessing in the first place. And so if you could just ignore the way I've, I forgive, and Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. If you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive others. Really, are you sure? Yeah, let me, he says, let me clarify for that. Let's go down to verse 14. Just to make sure. In fact, this is the one thing in the Lord's Prayer he clarifies. Nothing else he clarifies. This he clarifies. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, how many would you agree that's pretty clear? Pretty clear. Okay, some of you not awake. But I'll give you one more shot, verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How many would say it's pretty clear? Hey, good, you're waking up. Now, is there not a lot of room for wiggle room there, is there? Not a little like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry, I just didn't understand that. When you said that you would not forgive me unless I forgive, I just didn't really, I didn't really believe you. I didn't, I I just missed that part, right? Not a lot of wiggle room. Here's what we want to do today. I want to use this verse as sort of a gateway into the life and teaching of Jesus about forgiveness. What did he teach? What did he model in his life? That's the first thing. Second thing. Second thing we want to do is we want to talk about forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't. Because if we're going to grow in this area, it's very important that we, we kind of get rid of some misconceptions we often have about what forgiveness is and isn't. And then the third thing we want to do at the end is get really practical. On your note sheet, it says there's four essential steps we need to take, but there's actually five, so we'll add one. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump in. Forgiveness 101, the big picture. So what I'm, what, this, what I'm saying here is that if you look at the life and teaching of Jesus, you stand back and say, okay, let's, can we boil it all down? Mike, can you just boil it down for me? Can you make it very simple? Just kind of summarize it out. Like what would you say, how, how would you summarize the life and the teaching of Jesus on the topic of forgiveness? I think this one statement pretty much summarizes it, okay? So let's, let's go through it line by line. Number one, if you want to follow Jesus. Now, uh, you may not want to follow Jesus. You may not have yet decided to follow Jesus. You may still be in the crowd. And you're just checking Jesus out, okay? I understand that. What I'm saying, if you want to follow Jesus, if you're here today and you say, yes, I want to be a Christ follower, I'm serious about that, okay? So if you want to follow Jesus, then, then learning to forgive is not an option. In other words, this this is not the optional equipment on the spiritual car in our lives. This is not something that, okay, pastors, they need to forgive. Elders, they need to forgive. Life group leaders, they need to forgive. The rest of us, forget it. (laughs) We can just bear a grudge. Like, no, it's not an option. We'll see that. Number three, it's a way of life. That forgiveness is not something we do occasionally. Forgiveness is a way of life. It's part of our life every day, just the way we do life. Now, Jesus teaches this, of course, throughout his ministry. <clears throat> we see it here in chapter 6 where he says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. It's very clear, right? We also see he teaches it throughout his, his ministry. One of my favorite teachings is in Matthew 18. We're not going to turn there, but let me tell you the story. Here's the situation. Uh, Peter comes to him one day with his disciples, and 
Of course, Jesus is often teaching about forgiveness. And so, so Peter wants to know, what is the statute of limitations on forgiveness? Because I understand that we're supposed to forgive, but there's got to be a limit somewhere. And so, Jesus, what would you say is the limit? At what point can I tell someone, you've gone too far? I've forgiven you X amount of times, and you've gone too far, and so we're done. I'm done with you. Right? And so... Uh, Jesus basically answers that question by saying there is no limit. Now, now not that we can't put boundaries on our life to protect ourselves from abuse. He's not teaching you that. But what he's saying, there is no point in our life where you say to someone in your life, you've gone too far, I will never forgive you. I will always bear a grudge. I'll always hate you. I will not ever forgive you. You will never come to that point. And to illustrate it, Jesus tells a story. He says, once upon a time, there was a king, and this king had a uh, high official, and the official owed him a lot of money. Now, to understand this story, you have to understand the amount of money. So in this story, if you were to read it, it says he owes him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, just one talent, is the equivalent of 6,000 days of wages for a common laborer or a soldier. Okay, so one talent is 6,000 days of wages. So 10,000 talents is 10,000 times 6,000 days of wages. So I, I figured this out in my Excel, Excel spreadsheet four times. You can check them out. Okay, what this is, is this is what he owes is 192,000 years at six days a week, wages. Gonna become very important later on. So he comes up and, and, he, and the king calls him in and says, hey, you owe me all this money, it's time for you to pay up. And he says, well, no way, I can pay up. Says, okay, well, if you can't pay up, I'm throwing you in prison. And uh, he says, oh, king, and he starts wailing and, and weeping, God, please, uh, king, please don't do this thing. And, and so the king does this amazing thing. Not only does he agree to like, give him more time, which is what the man was asking for, but he says is, Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cancel your debt. That's the phrase. I'm going to cancel your debt. I'm going to wipe out the debt. Unbelievable. Everyone's blown away. So this official goes out later that day. You know, he's elated. Later that day, he runs across a buddy of his, another servant, who owes him some money. Now, it's a lot of money. It's three and a half months of wages. That's a lot of money. But it's nothing compared to the 192,000 years. And so goes through the same routine. In fact, he, he, he grabs the guy, starts roughing him up a little bit. He says, you need to pay up. Starts choking him. And the guy says, uh, give me more time. He says, no, you don't have more time. And he throws him in prison. Ward gets back to the king. King is furious. King is ticked off. He calls in the first guy. He says, I can't believe after what I've forgiven you, you would have the nerve to hold this guy accountable for that. He said, I'm the king. I can do what I want. 192,000 years of wages back on the books. You go to prison. But this time, you're going to be tortured until you pay. Now, remember, Peter asked the question, what are the statute of limitations? <laughs> so just imagine there. You're Peter. The, the deeper Jesus gets in the story, your head's kind of going down. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that first guy. Okay, now let's look, this is how Jesus ends the story. Look at your note sheet. This is how he ends it. He, he turns and he says to him, this is how 
my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Remember, he's talking to the disciples, to Peter. (laughs) He'll teach each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. And they're sincerely. Wow. I don't think there was a lot of follow-up questions that day. Well, yeah, but how many times? (laughs) Wow. Now, of course, the key to this story is Jesus says, you have no clue how big your debt is with God. And this is one of the hard things as human beings. We're often blind. But Jesus is saying, if you had eyes to see, you are the person who owes 192,000 years of wages because you to the king. You are that person. I'm that person. And he says, and what happens with human beings is we look through the wrong end of the telescope. Someone sins against us. We turn it around and magnify what they've done. We, we look through the wrong end and we minimize what we've done. He says, let me, let me clue here. You have rebelled against the king of the universe throughout your life. You have rejected the king of the universe. You are part of the race that killed the king of the universe. You are in deep debt, and you're coming to me, and you're asking to forgive, and you're, the king has forgiven what you've done. He says, if you only had eyes to see that you are the person. And so Jesus says, hey, even when someone has hurt you in an incredibly uh, profound way, like the story of Gordon Wilson, we started, incredible, uh, how, how do you forgive that, Right? Incredibly, he says, even when that's the case, compared to what your debt is to God, if you had eyes to see, he said, it'd be different. And of course, Jesus, of course, he models this for us too, then when he goes to the cross, because here he is, here he is the king who's come to, the, to the, his, his kingdom and to establish the kingdom of God, and the king is rejected. And, and, the king, and, and the, the subjects of the kingdom put him to death, and they torture him. And on the cross, what's he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? So he not only teaches it, he models it. So the point is for us, as followers of Jesus, and here's what I want you to catch. So many times we, get, we major on the minors in our walk with God. Oh, a Christian is someone who doesn't do this little thing, or a Christian doesn't do that. Let's just get rid of that stuff. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, one of the core commitments of our life is to forgive. It's not an option. It's a way of life, okay? Now, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about, well, how do we grow in that area? Because it's admittedly one of the hardest things we'll ever learn to do. But before we do that, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't. Because often we have some misconceptions that really get in the way. So there in your note sheet, there's a section called Forgiveness, What It Is and What It Isn't. And what I want to do is just make five quick statements, uh, just run through them quickly, that help us, I think, get on the same page with, with where Jesus was in terms of his teaching. So number one. Number one, the first statement is that forgiveness isn't forgetting. <coughs> now, this is a, we often think it is. that We even have statements like, you know, to forgive is to forget, or let's forgive and forget. Um, sometimes as Christians, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you may have even heard this teaching from a pulpit somewhere. Um, back in the book of Isaiah, for example, there's a verse where it says that God separates our sins as far as east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. And so oftentimes the logic is, well, if that's how God forgives, he remembers them no more, he forgets, that we have to forget too. And if we still remember an offense, then we obviously haven't forgiven. 
the effects. But if you stop and think about it, it's pretty crazy. When the Bible is saying that God remembers our sins no more, it doesn't mean he doesn't literally remember them. It's a Hebraic way of saying he doesn't hold us accountable. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, think about it. He wrote the Bible, right? Think of all the sins in the Bible that are there. Do you think when you go to, hey, God, would you please help me not to make the mistakes that King David did with that sexual sin, the murder thing? He's like, David, sounds familiar. See, I, I remember Goliath. Um, so yeah, I remember him ascending to the throne. I remember worshiping the ark. Adultery? I don't really remember that one. You see? So, so to forgive is not to forget. Number two, uh, forgiveness isn't minimizing or excusing. You catch this sometimes. You're talking with someone, and someone has really offended them. They've done something really bad. And, and you can tell they're trying to forgive, but the way they'll do it is they'll say things like this. Well, I'm sure he didn't know what he was doing, or well, it wasn't really that bad, or it wasn't his fault. Or, and we will try to minimize it, and we think because to forgive it means to make, kind of minimize it or to excuse it. It wasn't really that bad. But that has nothing to do with forgiveness. You see that God models this for us in the Bible, that when God uh, tells us stories, he never leaves out the gory details. God always calls, calls things what they are. So Moses murdered the Egyptian. Abraham lies about his wife to save his own skin. David commits adultery and hires a con- puts a contract out on the, on, on the, on the, on the woman's husband. Right, Peter denies Christ with swear, swearing and cussing while he does it. And the Bible just says this is what it is. And if we're going to forgive someone, one of the important steps is we just call it what it is. We don't pretend. We need to acknowledge the truth about what happened. If it was a betrayal, it was a betrayal. If it was a lie, it was a lie. If they, it was murder, it was murder. You know, if it was slander, it was slander. We don't try to... to, to, to uh, to make it prettier than it is. God is a God of truth. It is what it is. I love what C.S. Lewis says in your note sheet. Forgiving doesn't mean excusing. Many people seem to think it does. I think if you ask them to forgive someone who has cheated or bullied them, you're trying to make out that there really was no cheating or bullying. But if that were so, there'd be nothing to forgive. Right? So we don't, it's not excusing. It's not minimizing. Number three, now here's the heart of it. Forgiveness, what, what, we've talked about what it is, and let's talk about what it is. Forgiveness is canceling a debt, and it's giving up the right to pay someone back. Okay, so forgiveness, it's canceling a debt. And this is exactly what Jesus taught. We saw it today in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Forg- what do you say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, sin is a debt. We saw it in the story of the king. The king calls in the first servant, and he's, he's, it, what, the, the, what it says in the Bible is that he canceled his debt. See, when we sin against someone, we are in their spiritual debt. To forgive means that I wipe your debt to me off the books. That's what it means. You're my debt. You're spiritually my debt, 500 bucks because you lied about me, like 500 spiritual bucks or whatever. And I'm wiping the books clean. You're no longer in my debt. Part of this is in choosing that I'm giving up the right to hurt you back. I'm giving up the right to pay back 
So we've paid the debt. There's no more payback involved. Uh, years ago, there's uh, a friend of mine, his name was Larry Barber, and he wrote a great little article. He's a counselor. He wrote a great article on forgiveness. And I just put a quote in there. He says this really well. He says, in the Bible, to forgive literally means to let go. Now, that's true. There's a Greek word, aphiami, aphiami, and it means to let go. And that's what it means to forgive. It's to let go of, but of what? It says that when someone commits a sin against another, they have committed an injustice against that person. Consequently, the offender has incurred a debt to the injured party. The New Testament defines forgiveness as letting go of that debt. In practical terms, forgiveness means deciding to let go of hurting back the person who has hurt you. This is not a matter of good feelings or particular state of mind, it's a decision I make. It's a choice not to hurt back. Well said, well put. Number four, the fourth statement about forgiveness is that forgiveness is a process and it takes time. Many times I think that when we think about forgiveness, we sort of have this idealized notion that if I truly forgive someone, that I could make the decision to let it go and then it's gone. Um, and in an ideal world, that may be true. And if you were an ideal person, that might be true. If I were an ideal. But in the real world, the way it works is not that way, that we can make the decision to forgive in an instant, but the healing from that wound is a process. In fact, in fact it's exactly, I, I think a, a good analogy is that when we're hurt by someone, it's in the same way that a physical wound takes time to heal, emotional wounds the same way. Uh, so, for example, let's say that you, uh, uh, you, you stub your toe or you, you mess up your toe or whatever. You, you hurt something. That, have you ever, it's just, it's so sensitive, isn't it? I mean, just, you're just having a shoe on or something. It's like so painful. Uh, you just can't, I, I remember years ago, I went backpacking and it was the first time I ever wore uh, sandals in church. And I, I went backpacking and my shoes were too small. And uh, they were the same shoes I'd worn for years, but I didn't know this. As you grow older, your feet get longer <laughs> through gravity. <laughs> didn't know that. And so we went over this 12,000-foot peak, and it was a really steep downward ascent. And, I just, and it was uh, 7 o'clock at night, and the sun was setting, and we are on this really narrow little ledge, and we are about to fall off, and we could not stop. And my toes were hurting so bad. At one point, I was backing up down this steep you know, ravine. I, I lost five toenails from that event. It hurt them so bad. And from that, you know, next week in church, I, I was preaching in sandals. I could not stand to have anything on my feet. And that's how a wound is, right? It's very sensitive to the touch. But over time, if you have a wound in your body, uh, like when I was a kid, I, I was going down this, uh, this, this uh, hill at, uh, as fast as I could and no shirt on and, and uh, those days no helmets. And I, I went over the handlebars and five-point skull fracture and almost died. My, sh- my back was just shredded from the asphalt. And in one particular point in my body up here, the deepest wound, in the, but over time, so sensitive to touch, but over time, it just became a scar, excess scar tissue. Now I could touch it, doesn't hurt. I could talk about it, no bad, you know. Emotional wounds are often the same way, that it's a process. And at first, they're so sensitive to the touch. 
But over time, the goal of forgiveness over time is to get to a place where it becomes a scar. You still remember it, but it's not sensitive to the touch. You can talk about it. You can share about it. Does that make sense? Now, here's the thing, though. It's a process, and here's how the process works. The process is we make the decision the first time to let go and to cancel the debt. But that's not a decision we make once. That's a decision we make, if it's a bad hurt, 30, 40, 100 times a day. That's the healing process. That it keeps coming up again, and we just have to keep coming. Jesus, I'm letting it go again. I'm letting it go again. I'm letting it go again. We don't let go of it once. We let go of it. If it's a deep hurt, it might be 100,000 times before it gets to a place where it's just a scar that no longer is sensitive. It's a process. And number five. The fifth statement is that forgiveness is a path to freedom. It really is. Um, you know, we've been talking about, hey, if you're serious about following Jesus, this is a non-negotiable, this is the only way to go, and he requires it, and, and it's so true. But, you know, I don't know if this, you've learned this about Jesus, but, but if you haven't, just let me underline, most of you have learned this. He never asks you to do anything except that he's always looking out for your best interests. I don't care how hard it is. If Jesus is asking you to do something, take it to the bank. He is looking out for your best interest. And when he tells us to let go of this and to forgive, it's because forgiveness is a path to freedom. The only other alternative is to become a bitter, angry, enslaved person. Um, when I was a boy, we used to uh, they had these planes, and we had, uh, they had engines on them, and we had remote control planes too, like you do now, you know, control box, and they just fly off, and you can control them. But, but there was kind of a precursor to that uh, uh, back in the day where you have these, this plane, and it would have an engine in it, and you could start it and start the propeller, but it would have this, uh, this cord, this uh, wire that would go to a control box you'd hold in your hand. And so as you'd start the engine, and then you'd, you'd start turning around like this, and you'd start letting out more and more line. And as you, you let out farther and farther, and pretty soon you get out, you know, it gets a little dizzy, you know, as you're, you're doing this. But this plane's, you know, flying, and it's out there in this line. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that that plane is not a real plane because it can never fly off into its future. It, it's always tied to the person holding the control box, right? Well, here's what happens in our lives. When we refuse to forgive someone, there is an emotional line that goes between you and that person and they hold the control box of your life. And what happens is you try to fly into your future and move on with your life, and you can't do it because your life revolves around that person emotionally. And what happens is, is that uh, you, just, you cannot move on with your life. And if you've ever been around a person who's tied like this, they cannot go through the day without reaming their ex-spouse. They cannot go through the day talking about their no-good son. They can't go through the day without talking about the, 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 the partner that ripped them off. And so they're so angry, and what happens is, is they're, they're, they're just circling around like this. And, but guess who's holding the control box? The person that hurt them. See, the only way to fly into the future that God has for you is to cut the line. And we do that through uh, forgiveness. Um, years ago, I read uh, a book by Max Lucado, one of his billions of books, and, uh, and so uh, he, he tells this great story about a lady that had, uh, her husband had an affair, and her response to that, and I want you to listen to this, this letter that she writes to him. She says, I, I caught my husband making love to another woman. He swore it would never happen again. He begged me to forgive him, but I could not. 
I would not. I was so bitter and I was so incapable of swallowing my pride that I could think of nothing but revenge. I was going to make him pay and make him pay dearly. I wanted my pound of flesh. So I filed for divorce even though my children begged me not to. And even after the divorce, my husband tried for two years to win me back. I refused to have anything to do with him. He had struck first. Now I was striking back. Remember we talked about forgiveness is giving up the right to strike back. Okay, so, so she's playing out the other side of this. I was striking back. All I wanted was to make him pay. Now finally he gave up. He married a lovely young widow with a couple of small children. He began rebuilding his life, but without me. I see them occasionally, and he looks so happy. They all do. And here I am, a lonely, old, miserable woman who allowed her selfish pride and foolish stubbornness to ruin her life. And then Max writes this, unfaithfulness is wrong. We're not minimizing the sin, the debt that was incurred against this woman. Not minimizing that at all. Revenge is bad. He says, but the worst part of all is that without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. And you are stuck revolving your life around that father, around that mother, around that brother, around that coworker, and that ex-spouse. You know, that your life is stuck revolving in the control box of that person's life. Now, so we've talked about what forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't. Um, but of course, here's pay dirt time. Here, here's the time we're going to say, okay, we've set it up. Uh, it's not an option. We've got to learn how to do this. If we're going to follow Jesus. Uh, it's a path to freedom. We've talked about what it is and what it isn't, but how do we grow? And let me say this right up front. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things that we ever have to do in life. It's not easy, and there's not any simple, easy answers. But I want to take a stab at this and be as practical as possible. So as you think through a person in your life, you're working through this uh, with you, whether it's today or in the future, here's some steps we can take. Number one, the first step is going to be a surprising one. It goes like this. Start with confession. And I'm talking about confession of sin. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. Wait, I'm not the sinner here. They sinned against me. Why would I start with confession? That doesn't make any sense. Well, let, let, me, let me spell it out like this. There's three kinds of sins in life. You might want to write this down. <laughs> Number one, first one we'll call them sins of action. These are things you do against God or other people to hurt them, violate their rights or whatever. We understand that. Second kind is sins of omission. These are things that we should do that we don't do. You know, I should have been there for you. I should have cared. I should have whatever. I, I didn't. The third kind is sins of reaction. A sin of reaction is when you do something that hurts me and I respond poorly. So in the New Testament, sinless, for example, let us say get rid of all anger, bitterness, rage, resentment, slander, malice, libel. These are sins of reaction. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. So, so we have sins of action, sins of reaction. So, you're driving on the freeway. I'm trying to get very practical here. <laughs> and someone cuts you off. Sin of action. 
you tailgate them for the next 10 miles. <laughs> Sin of reaction. All right. Uh, you're catching on. Okay, so the, the lady in the story, her husband has an affair. Sin of action. She says, I'm going to have my pound of flesh. Sin of reaction. Okay, your boss at work, he is unfair. He plays favorites. He's unkind, unappreciative. Sin of action. <laughs> he played unfavorite. He played favorites. Um, so you decide you will sabotage, be passive aggressive, not give him work hard. Sin of reaction. You catch the idea. Well, here's what happens in our lives as followers of Jesus. And most of the time, when someone sins against us, our initial response is a sin of reaction. We're going to get back. And so if we want Jesus to help us grow, the first step is we have to stop defending our sins of reaction. Does that make sense? And But we will do this, don't we? we someone hurts us and, well, I'm so angry and I'm going to get them and I'm going to do this and, well, because I deserve it. I mean, they deserve it. I don't deserve this. They deserve it. And so, and so we go into it, okay, I'm supposed to forgive now. Like, wait a second, we've already decided not to follow Jesus in this matter. And so we need to start with the sin of, Jesus, this is not how you taught me. This is not what you taught me. I'm not responding how you taught me. And so I need to ask you to forgive me for that, for my sense of reaction. I need you to teach me how to do this well, okay? So we start there. Number two, a second thing we need to do and Jesus teaches us often, and this is an ongoing thing, not a one-time thing, but we need to pray for their best. One of the most proactive things we can do as you're going through the process of forgiveness, which means a process, is to regularly pray for their best. Now, Jesus taught this many times. He taught it earlier to us in the Sermon on the Mount. There in your note sheet, I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. What do you pray for? You pray for God's best for their life. You pray that God would change their heart and draw them to himself. You pray that God would change them to be a person that he really can bless and be pleased with. So how would you pray for a son or daughter of yours who is really off kilter and was hurting everyone around them? You would pray for God's best even though you hate what they're doing. You pray that way for, for this person. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great uh, German pastor during World War II. He was part of the resistance movement that tried to assassinate Hitler and was discovered and, and, and uh, put to death just a few days before Hitler went down. But he, he's a great writer, and he has a quote there. He notes, he says, uh, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, we stand by his side, and we plead for God to him. Uh, Plead for him to God. Jesus does not promise that when we bless our enemies and do good to them, that they will not despitefully use and persecute us. They certainly will. But even, um, but even that hurt, uh, but, but not even that hurt can overcome us so long as we pray for them. Now catch this. We are doing vicariously. That means in substitutionary. We are doing vicariously for them what they cannot do for themselves. So we go and we stand by the person who's hurt us and we say, Jesus, this person's not walking with you or they're not aware of this thing or whatever and I just want to stand by them and ask that you would so move in their life 
that you could do your very best in them. And you would just change their heart and you would turn, I'm going to stand. And this is one of those proactive things you can do. And if you're struggling with forgiveness with someone, it's something you should do every day, probably several times a day. You stand and you say, I refuse to hold them accountable. I've transferred that debt off. I've canceled off my books. God, I stand with you now. I trust you to deal with them in your time, but I'm standing with them for their good. It's one of those proactive things you can do. Number three, a third thing you can do is reach out with kindness. Um, One of the basic teachings of the New Testament is that we should never allow others to dictate our behavior. We never allow others to dictate our behavior. We follow what is right. We follow Jesus regardless of how others respond to us. We don't let them dictate us or what we do. Jesus taught this in um, this, this step of reaching out with kindness in John 6 there in your sheet. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's what I'm talking about. Kindness. Do good. Um, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 puts it this way. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So so your boss at work is unfair. They play favorites. They slander you. Okay, what do you do? You do good by them. You work hard. You treat them with respect, at least in that leadership role. You don't slander them. You do good by them. So this is a proactive step. Many times you'll find this will be something God will ask you to do when there's someone who has hurt you. He will put something in your heart to do proactively to reach out with an act of kindness. And that will break the logjam spiritually in your life. That will be what the door that opens up to true forgiveness. Number four, ask God to change your heart and then be patient. <coughs> You know, throughout this Sermon on the Mount, over and over again, especially in the early messages, I kept hammering on this, that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out, here's the right way to live, and it's impossible for you to do it on your own. Remember? We kept talking about that. The Sermon on the Mount is somebody said, hey, you go do this. Here's what it is. You go do it. The Christian life is a message of, here's what's the right way to live. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. And so we are going to have to be changed from the inside out. And that is true in every area of following Jesus, but it's especially true in the area of forgiveness. This is one of the hardest things we're ever asked to do. It sounds so easy when we're sitting here in church listening to a message. Okay, let me get that. What was step number three? What was step number? And all of a sudden, someone does something that hurts us, and all these steps go out the window. We just want to kill them, right? Like, I'll figure out the sermon stuff later. Let me just kill them first, ask for forgiveness, and then I'll listen to the, the CD again. Right? This is how it really works. This is tough stuff. Um, there in your notes, I put a quote from Elizabeth O'Connor, the famous uh, novelist. She says, despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily. She was a Christian, by the way. Nor find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness, we discover, is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. And it's just true. We need God's help. Brendan Manning, in his book, Abba's Child, this Christian author, he, he writes there in your note sheet, the demands of forgiveness are so daunting that they seem he- humanly impossible. And you understand this. If you've been hurt deeply, 
you understand this. The exigencies, which is sort of a big word for the urgencies of the difficult situation. The exigencies of forgiveness are simply beyond the capacity of the ungraced human will. Only reckless confidence in a source greater than ourselves can empower us to forgive the wounds inflicted by others. In boundary moments such as these, there is only one place to go, and that is Calvary. So we, we are taking the steps that God has asked us to take, Jesus. But we have to come before him and say, Jesus, if I, my heart is going to be changed to be like yours, it takes a miracle. I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I need your spirit to change me. And then be patient because sometimes I found in my own life there's things you just kind of release over and over, and it takes a long time right, until, until you're able to fully release that thing. Now, number five. Now, number five... Um, not on your note sheet. <laughs> um, but it came to me on, on Friday. Lynn and I were driving up to Santa Barbara. It's my day off. And so we often go up there just to hang out. And, and so I was on the 118 uh, freeway leaving Simi Valley, minding my own business, and number five comes. And so we'll call this the 118 principle. Um, but I think it's very important, very important as we end the day. And it goes like this, to start slowly. Start slowly. In other words, that, uh, many times when we say, okay, I'm serious about this. I want to learn how to forgive. We kind of wait until there's something major happens in our life. And that's just a really hard way to learn how to forgive. That's like stepping up to play baseball for the first time and having the pitcher throw you a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. Try hey, hit, hit this. You know, it's like... Hey, if we want to learn how to forgive, we need to start now and start with the small stuff. Because every day the reality is God is going to give you many opportunities to practice the art of forgiveness. Every day that God is going to give you many opportunities to learn how to let go. Let me give you some example. You're on the freeway. Now, I realize this is a male example for the most part. I had women come up last night. I just, I, I just can't relate to that. Okay, so men, listen up. You know, you're, you're on the freeway and someone cuts you off. You know, the freeway is one of the great spiritual disciplines of my life. I have learned more about spiritual growth on the freeway than any other place in my life. This guy cuts you off, and this urge comes up to arrest him. If not to arrest, at least to inform him. Right? It's just the way it is. If you're a guy, you understand this. And so it's a great opportunity to either get angry or to practice letting it go. It's amazing how many times we're in the freeway, I do something stupid, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, bad day. Someone else does something stupid, it's like, it's a capital offense. <laughs> so let it go. Okay, here's one, another freeway one. Someone's going on the fast lane going 60 miles an hour. <laughs> now, people should be arrested for this. I'm like, where is a cop when you need them? Yeah. You go to Starbucks. 
They have a new barista. Four times they ask you for your order. Four now, was that with uh, the foam or not foam? Or You're late to a meeting. You debated about stopping, but you think it'll only take a minute. And so you're there. And, and they're, now, what was that? And oh, I'm sorry, I messed that up, sir. I'll start again. Great. After four times, they give you your drink. It's wrong. Now, you see, this kind of thing happens every day of our life, right? These kinds of things happen every day. People let you down in small ways every day of your life. You ask your spouse, hey, we have that long, we have that, uh, uh, we're going to the Hollywood Bowl tonight uh, when, I, when I get home, and, and hey, could you fill up the car with gas because I know time's going to be tight. You get home and like, oh, I forgot. Right? Your son makes a commitment. A coworker sends you a blazing email. We have examples every day of our life where figuratively speaking, someone cuts us off on the freeway of our life. And, and here's the thing. I want you to catch this. As believers, these are opportunities to learn how to let go. And if we don't take these opportunities to learn in the small things how to let go, it becomes very difficult in the large things because we have no clue how to do it. How do you let go of it? We don't know. Well, we don't, we don't. And so God gives us a chance every day of our life to let go. See, remember, Martin Luther King Jr. once said, forgiveness, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a way of life. He was right on the money. And that's what Jesus said when he said, when you pray, when you go before God, pray like this. God, would you forgive me the same exact way I forgive those every day who sin against me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, amazing teaching of your son or the way he just puts it out there. Great examples, great illustrations. We're thankful, Lord, and we want to learn how to grow in forgiveness as people, as a church. We want to be a distinguishing mark of our life. It's not what we don't do or this we don't do or this little thing, but the distinguishing mark of our life is where we know how to let things go. And so we pray you'd teach us. And we would ask you today, God, that you would forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Father, we want to move from justice to mercy in our lives. God, we pray that you'd help us to be honest with you about where we are today as Christ's followers to recognize there is no option, there is no plan B. That if we want you to forgive us, you've told us we need to forgive others. So I pray, Lord, all over this auditorium for men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and sons, daughters and mothers, co-workers, ministry partners, where we've harbored perhaps a grudge, we've harbored a resentment, we've defended our rights and not seen that when we asked you to forgive us our 192,000 years of wages, that we gave up those rights to hold things over others' heads. And so we pray today that you'd help us to move from justice where others get what they deserve to mercy where we get what we never deserved. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We started this series. One of the very first things Jesus said is, Blessed are the merciful, for they, they alone, will receive mercy. May this week, as you go out into your week, may you be a mercy giver. May you be known as a person of mercy to those you work with, to those in your household, in your marriage, in your relationships, your friendships, your ministry partnerships. May you be known as a person who is merciful, giving to others not what they deserve, because God has given to you not what you deserve. That we would learn to to live and to let go and to move into the freedom of the future that God has planned for us, no longer tied to the person in the center of our life with a control box because we have not let go. May we fly high and far for the kingdom this week. God bless you. Next weekend, we will talk about two kinds of people in life as Jesus begins to wrap up his Sermon on the Mount. He's going to talk to us about two roads in life. He's going to talk the next week about two kinds of teachers and two kinds of followers. And then he's going to talk in the end about two kinds of houses. As he begins to narrow it down, as every good sermon does, and says, so what are you going to do now? So I hope you can be here next week as we talk about two roads in life, the narrow road and the wide road. Which road are we on? God bless you. Have a tremendous week. We'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm